Hey listeners, before we get started, I wanted to share with you a brand new podcast that you might be interested in. It's the new Braves Dugout Podcast. This podcast is about all things Atlanta Braves baseball. They talk about roster moves, potential trades, game recaps. Now this may all seem cliche for a sports podcast, but they also include a special segment each week where they talk about controversial topics using only stats and logic and no bias. Controversial topics such as which Braves player should or should not be in the Hall of Fame, why your favorite player may not be as valuable as you think they are, or how certain players you may not like deserve more love. It's the new Braves Dugout Podcast. You can currently catch this podcast. See what I did there? Catch this podcast on Spotify or on Anchor.fm. It's sure to be a hit. Coming soon to a streaming service only available in Northwest Ohio comes a new series for fans of Stranger Things called Stranger Things. That's right. You thought it wasn't possible for things to get any stranger than they already have been, but you thought wrong, mister. Or miss, or missus. You, you thought wrong, you. Follow Millie Bobby Brown and the gang as they... What, what, what's that? No, no, no. Not THE Millie Bobby Brown. It's Millie Vanilli and Bobby Brown. Yeah, yeah, I can see how that could be a little misleading. Okay, scratch this out. <clears throat> Follow Millie Vanilli and Bobby Brown in every little step they take as they go Inception-style deeper from the upside-down world into the crazier upside-down and backwards world. Will they get out? Will they all survive? Will they all be able to actually sing their own songs in the end? What is their prerogative? This will be available for streaming as soon as our GoFundMe succeeds. And now, on to the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Above Average Show Show! Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Season 2 of the Above Average Joe Show. And today we have somebody that works in a position that we haven't had a chance to talk to yet about. And our guest today works in set deck, and he will explain exactly what set deck is, set decorations, and the difference between props and set deck, and a lot of the cool projects that he's worked on. Um, Our guest today is Jonathan Williams. Jonathan, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you? I am doing awesome. Getting a little stir crazy with all of this COVID stuff going on, but keeping it together. <laughs> yeah, I have only had about a week of quarantine isolation. I shouldn't say quarantine because as far as I know, I'm not infected. Um, but while everyone else was isolating last week, I was actually still working on a couple of indie things and and. And, uh, you know, just friends, projects and stuff until it got to the point where everything just kind of had to shut down. But I actually don't mind being alone and just watching movies and reading books and stuff. (laughs) I've been enjoying that, too. And for anybody listening, in case they're wondering, we are recording this on March 27th. So this will be coming out at a later date, probably sometime during the summer. Um, so we are actually in the middle of the, possibly the rise of everything that's going on with the coronavirus. So if you hear references to that, 
Um, it could be over. It could be getting worse. We don't know because we are only in the U.S. about one month into everything. But let's go back on topic. <laughs> Jonathan, you have worked on a lot of different projects, a lot of um, ones that I am a huge fan of. There's a small thing that eh, probably a handful or like several thousand handfuls of people watched on Netflix called Stranger Things. You've also worked on Table 19, a little project called Ozark that's won tons of awards, a movie called Little, which we had some guests last year that worked on that project, a, another show, Black Lightning, The Resident, Boy Erased, Stand Against Evil, The Outsider, Legacies, and also the upcoming Stargirl, which has not been released, so we can't really talk about it, but if you guys want to IMDB that, you can probably find some information. It is another superhero series that will be coming out later. But let's go ahead and start with how did you get into the film industry, Jonathan? Well, that goes back quite a while. Um, before I got into film, I was a freelance, a, pre, a full-time freelance entertainment journalist. I wrote for various publications and wrote a lot about local musicians, local artists, local filmmakers, um, just local creative people here in the Atlanta area. And I got to know a lot of these people. And then as time went on and as the movie industry, once things started filming in Georgia a lot more with the tax incentive and, and all that about 10 or 12 years ago, a lot of these creative people transitioned into uh, jobs in the film industry. A lot of times using the talents they were already using just maybe in a different way. But for whatever reason, a lot of those people ended up in set deck department, set decoration. And, um, which seems to be kind of a, an, not, I don't want to say easy. It seems to be a place that a lot of people trying to get into the film industry start, even if that's not where they want to be. And I'm not really sure why that is. Maybe just because the crew that that is a larger crew than most other departments, and it, a lot of times a show will have uh, a show or a movie will have times where they need to bring on more people to get certain projects done, and then they lay off those people. So you know, at those times, that's when someone who may not have as much experience or as many connections or whatever can can get on a show for a few days or a few weeks or a few months and then get some experience and then meet people and then move on from there. So I had a few different people. Uh, one was a guy who's now a lead man named Nelson Haygood, who was, he was in a band called Synchro Nine Factor and some other bands in Atlanta that I'd written articles about and got to become friends with. And then another friend named Sarah, who was an Atlanta roller girl, which was another thing I wrote a lot about when it first started up. She had gotten into set deck as a, mostly as a buyer and just various other people would call me from time to time and ask me if I, if I had uh, joined the union at, if I'd gotten my papers turned in, blah, blah, blah. Cause they, you know, they would, it would be one of those opportunities where they said, well, the show I'm working on is going to need some people tomorrow, but coming up with the money to pay the dues was a problem for me at the time. So I, you know, missed, missed some opportunities there because I wasn't fully, you know, I wasn't in the union yet. And uh, then finally, about a little more than four years ago, 
I was able to come up with that money and I joined. And then those, a lot of those same people were the first people I contacted. And so I was able to, to get work immediately, which I'm very fortunate. A lot of people join and that sit around, thing. sit yeah. around and wait. <laughs> and, uh, then sometimes get discouraged and end up not ever doing anything with it. But so, yeah, you mentioned table 19. That was the first thing I worked on. And that was, I had not actually even been initiated or, or whatever they call it into the union yet. I was a pending member, which is good enough. As long as you've paid your money, <laughs> um, <laughs> you can work. So that was an opportunity that came up. Also, I should, I should point out that I joined at what most people said was the worst time of year to join, which was in November. Cause that's when during the holidays, most productions <laughs> are winding down. They're either finishing up or they're going on hiatus and going to pick back up in January or something. But that was just when I had the money to join and I got very lucky. I got, um, on a week of reshoots in December for table 19. And then from there, it was kind of a interesting situation with stranger things. They basically already had a crew, but when that show, the first season was going on hiatus, that lead man and crew left for another show. So the lead man that had hired me for table 19, again, Nelson Haygood, who I mentioned earlier, uh, he got the last two episodes of season one of stranger things. So brought me on for that. And then that, you know, it just kind of snowballed from there. And then I met other people and then got to work with other leads and work on other shows. And, um, of course, then we didn't know what Stranger Things was. We got to read the <laughs> scripts and stuff, and it sounded like it was going to be really good. But nobody knew who any of the kids were. Nobody knew who the Duffer Brothers were. It was one of the. It was when Netflix was still just starting to do original content. I mean, they had a pretty good bit by then, but um, not not like what they have now. And I think it, in some ways, probably launched or helped launch all the streaming services creating, you know, their own content rather than just streaming what you could find somewhere else or what you may have already watched or whatever. So yeah, that was a lot of fun. Both I worked on season two with a completely different crew and lead. Um, and then I haven't, haven't gotten to work on the show again since then, just mostly because a lot of times you're already working on something when a show you want to work on starts up and you either, leave which some people frown upon or you stay where you are and then hope you can get over on the other show once the one you're on wraps <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah so i guess that was how i got in and, uh, and it still continues to be how i how i often get jobs because of the people i met as a journalist uh before i was even in film and the moral of the story is don't burn any bridges no matter what company you're working for or what position you're in or what industry you're in because you never know when they're going to come back and help you out. Yeah, exactly. And especially once you're in the film industry, you don't want to burn any bridges, even though you may not always like the way certain people treat you or talk to you, but <laughs> you just uh, often have to bite your tongue and let that wave ride its run its course. <laughs> And then working as set deck, what exactly do you do in set decorations um, as a department as a whole? And then what also do you do specifically as an individual? Uh, well, usually I'm a 
part of the um, what some people say is kind of an antiquated term, the swing gang, which is the crew, the set decor, the set dressers. Um, so the set decorator is the head of the department, and he or she, usually a she, is the one that has the creative vision and works with the directors or the showrunners and the production designer and the art director on creating the look of the show. Um, specifically the set decorator is, uh, as the name implies, the one that decorates the sets. <laughs> so whether that's, uh, someone's bedroom or, you know, the labs in, in stranger things or a superhero's secret, uh, hideaway or a kitchen or a restaurant or whatever the case may be, wherever, wherever the show is filming and whether it's, you know, a set that's built on a stage or an existing location, like a person's house or a business that you have to get in and out of by a certain time so that it can actually be open at its normal time, things like that. Um, basically that's just putting everything where it goes is the simplest way to put it. So, um, sometimes you go into a place and it's, and you kind of just work with what's there. Other times you go into a place and the set decorator and the other decisions makers love everything about it, but immediately want to change everything about it. <laughs> so <laughs> you have to do silly things like turn, uh, I don't know, turn a sushi restaurant into a coffee shop or something weird like that. When, you know, as a set dresser, we just do what we're told. So, okay, you want us to get rid of all the stuff that makes it a sushi restaurant and put up stuff that makes it look like a coffee shop when we could have just shot in a coffee shop. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that's pretty much what we do. And then I also do a fair amount of work on independent productions where I'm, where I am the set decorator or the art director or whatever, which really just means, uh, you know, on a lower budget, smaller scale production, you get a title like that because it's basically a one or two person department. Whereas on a bigger production, it'll be a, you know, maybe a, at the minimum, like a, a crew of four or five or sometimes up to like 20 or 30 people. If you're working on, you know, like a big Marvel movie or something like that. Um, so sometimes I am the decision maker, but that's on smaller things. Usually I'm a set dresser that just does what the set decorator wants. And then, in the past two or three years, I've done more work as an onset dresser, which is typically the one, only one person on the shooting crew to represent that department. Sometimes you have two, if it's uh, if you know you're going to need help moving some big stuff or something like that. But uh, that's a lot of fun too because you're there when they're filming and you you. Uh, I don't know. Some people feel like they're, <laughs> yeah, you feel like you're more a part of the process, but really when you're the one building and creating the sets, you're more a part of the process in some ways too. Cause once the uh, shooting crew gets there, it, all that work is done. And you know, that sometimes is as simple as just moving objects around on a desk or something but other times you have to move entire pieces of furniture or something around because they want to put the camera where that thing is so they can get the shot going this direction. And, um, but it's both, I like doing both. They're very different and, uh, but they're both fun in their own ways. 
And then what is the difference between set deck and props, if props are going to be on set? Um, for any listeners that might not know, what is the difference between a set deck and a prop? Well, a lot of people not in the industry are not aware of the difference. And uh, the simplest way to describe it is props are the things that actors actually interact with and touch. Um, so usually, you know, there's that's a, a another department, the props department, which we work, set deck and props work together a lot of times for obvious reasons, but ultimately um, props is completely separate. Um, and again, in, in a lot of the same ways though, it can be something as simple as, well, this is the coffee cup that Alec Baldwin's going to drink coffee from. So that's a prop because he's going to pick it up and drink from it. Or it can be really cool stuff like this is Captain America shield or in you know, so sometimes the props department is responsible for creating um, some of the props rather than just obtaining items that already exist. And that happens to some degree in set deck. We're creating the sets and, you know, a lot of times we have to use things that if, you know, the lab and stranger things is a great example um, in season two, there were some scenes where they've got, you know, the, for people who've seen the show, the pumpkins are all, uh, infected with something. And so there was a, a, like a glass case where you have to, you know, with the gloves, um, so you're not actually touching anything in the lab where they were, you know, just inspecting the infected pumpkins and stuff. And we had to create that, um, out of stuff from Home Depot. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there was a, a couple of particularly creative people on the crew that knew what to use to do that. And, uh, so that, that we came up with that, but to get back on topic, the props department, um, you know, makes the weapons or the, uh, just any, anything that a person holds or touches of course furniture is set deck even though actors touch it but if they just sit on it or something that's not props but um yeah that's the main difference there and then working on set as an on-set dresser a lot of times you you work with the props department a lot more closely because sometimes i haven't had this experience a lot but sometimes on the spur of the moment the director or the actor or somebody on set will decide they like a they like something that's on the set that is a piece of set dressing. They want to use that in some way. So then it becomes a prop because the actor then has to pick it up or interact with it in some way other than just looking at it or, or mentioning it. And is that uh, something that just ends up being a discussion then? Or is there paperwork that's like, oh, that just switched over. So now we've got to fill out some sort of form or how does how does all of that work if something switches from one department to the other? You just give each other a look and it's like, okay, it's all yours. Take it. Well, that's um, something above my decision making <laughs> as far as all that's handled. I think, you know, I think it's, it depends on the circumstances. If it's a, if it's something that the show owns and hasn't rented um, and it was an inexpensive item, then the, the set decorator and the property master probably just go, okay, whatever, you know, set decorator probably just says, you can have that. <laughs> if it's a rental that, you know, 
there each department has its own budget so if the set deck department has spent the money on it and now it becomes a prop then there's a discussion that has to happen there on who if they split the cost or out you know, again that's not a yeah. not a part of a conversation I've ever been involved in but uh you know and then if it's if it's something very expensive then of course they have to make some kind they have to come to an agreement but they have meetings on a daily basis to discuss things like that. And, you know, it's just one of those behind the scenes things. It's probably really not that interesting (laughs) (laughs) Um, unless there's some kind of fight that happens about it. But I, I've never heard of that. I'm sure it has happened. I have not experienced it myself though. And then with something like captain America's shield, where the majority of the scenes he's probably holding it. So it would be a prop, but say there's a scene where it's just, sitting in a lab on a back table at that point, is it still considered prop or is it a set deck? Because in that particular scene, he's not touching it. Um, Or is that a conversation between the two departments and they figure it out? Well, I think in most cases, um, set deck wouldn't have any of those shields. So if it's decided that, there's a shield just sitting on a table in the background or something, then either depending on when the conversation is had, if it's something ahead of time, then the set decorator will just go to the props department and say, Hey, can we, can you let us either let us put a shield on the table or the props people put the shield on the table. Um, If it's one of those on set, uh, in the moment decisions, then props would have it for sure. And, uh, the director or whoever makes that decision would probably just go straight to props, but they might come to set deck in which case the onset dresser would then go to props and say, Hey, they want a shield right here. And they just go, either they give it to the set dresser to put on, or they just go put it on themselves. That's, you know, up to them. But yeah, if it's something that's already props department, um, it's not like set deck would have to rent that from that department or or something crazy (laughs) like that. And then also I had a question, um, working on Stranger Things, which for people that haven't watched it, hopefully you've seen it by now, um, because there's tons of spoiler alerts in this conversation, (laughs) Um, (laughs) takes place in the 80s. And how difficult or challenging is it to do a period piece like that when the majority of the stuff that you go to and buy at, I don't know, Walmart or Target or anywhere like that is no longer 1980s looking? Um, well, our the set decorator, his name is Jess Royal, and she's uh, I enjoyed working with her a lot. She's uh, very good at that. She does a lot of estate sale shopping which typically estate sales are when an older person passes away and the family just decides to sell off everything in the, in the house. <laughs> and a lot of older people have older things or have basements where they've just accumulated things that have sat there for, for a number of years, not being used. Um, so a lot of that stuff came from estate sales and thrift stores are also a good place. Um, there was a funny, uh, a funny incident where one time I walked into one of the set deck buyers offices and she was on eBay looking up, um, 
shopping for vintage tampon boxes. <laughs> and I said, uh, why are you looking up old tampon boxes? And then immediately said, oh, because this is a period piece. <laughs> and we all laughed. And it was uh, one of my prouder, clever moments, I guess. But um, I guess she was finding stuff. And I don't even remember why. Probably just for, you know, a lot of times uh, in set deck, we go into a lot of, we, we put forth a lot of effort for little details that, often end up not even being seen or it's just blurry stuff in the background. And that probably was what that was. It was just to be in the background in a bathroom, one of the female characters, bathroom scenes or something. But, you know, if she had bought, if she had gone to Walmart and bought a box of tampons, that would have jumped out. Everyone would have noticed it. And, um, actually on season two, especially, um, I am a, I grew up in the eighties and I'm a toy collector And so I would find things on sets that we were shooting, uh, the year, the season two is set in 84, if I remember correctly. And I'd find like a GI Joe figure that I knew didn't come out until 86. (laughs) (laughs) So eventually my, my lead got tired of me bringing these things to her and saying like, okay, this, this guy wasn't out yet. She finally was like, if you see that stuff, just take it off the set. You don't have to. (laughs) <laughs> you don't have to get permission. And then I didn't work on I didn't work on season three, but I know in the very first scene there's like a transformer, and this I believe would have been props because it was uh, something that Dustin interacted with, and it was to see where all the things are coming to life and moving, like yep. little robot toys and stuff, yep. are going down the hall, and one of them is a transformer. And I immediately was like, hey, that one wasn't out yet. And then I, apparently that was a big thing on the Internet that people <laughs> told me that. And I was like, well, if I'd been there. <laughs> that actually crossed my mind, too. I was like, was that even out yet? I don't think that was. <laughs> yeah, that particular version of that Transformer didn't come out until a year later. <laughs> Are there any set deck pieces that were found and that you guys got to that you were like oh my gosh this is so cool because it was so retro like did you find a gi joe figure that you thought was like really cool at the time or rare or a transformer or a movie poster or anything like that that you were like oh i would love to have that you mean that we got to keep after the show was done well not necessarily that you got to keep just one that you wanted while you were using it So oh, while you were picking up a poster of Wham, it's like, wow, if I could have this poster of Wham, even if you didn't get to keep it. There was, uh, yeah, there was quite a bit of stuff like that. I know, I remember seeing, uh, I didn't even know this existed, but an old Atari game that was Alien, the you know, based on the first movie Alien. Yeah. I saw that, and I think um, the onset dresser is also a big Alien fan, and I think he also saw it and asked and they let him keep it because <laughs> again, it was just stuff that was going to be, it wasn't like going to be featured in any way. It was just going to be something on a shelf in the background. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think, I mean, I, there was a lot of cool stuff just cause again, I grew up in the eighties and you know, the, Lots of the thing poster in the basement was really cool. And I think that was just a reproduction, but still it was, uh, you know, they do a good job 
the set decorator on that show does a good job of putting things in that, that they, that the show kind of references or, you know, cause yeah. it's compared to a lot of things, ET, um, lots of Spielberg stuff from the eighties. And, uh, actually there was an ET board game that I had as a kid and no longer, and no longer had at the time that, uh, I came across in our lockup where we keep all the set dressing. And after the show wrapped, there was like a, a whole room of stuff that the, de- the decorator just said, if anybody wants any of this stuff, you can take it. And there was this ET board game that uh, I asked her, why didn't we use this? And she said, they, uh, it was going to cost too much to get clearance on it. Mm. It was something that yeah. she found at a yard sale or an estate sale or something. I don't know where it came from, but it looks like all the pieces are still there, so I have it again now. <laughs> um, have you gotten to play it? <laughs> I haven't had a chance to play it yet, actually. Um, but I just I just bought a house a couple months ago, and I'm still unpacking. And I actually unpacked my board games yesterday. And I have a piece a piece of art in my hallway that um, was going to get thrown out. It was uh, from the buyer's house hallway. And I actually have two different versions of it. I have I have the version that got burned when the Demogorgon gets caught on fire in their hallway. And then I have, I guess it was, they recreated it in some way. Because um, there were times where we had to go back to the house being in the state that it was in before it gets torn apart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm not really sure what the story is. I just know they were going to get thrown in a dumpster and I was like, Nope, I'm taking those home. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty awesome. Well, let's go ahead and get all of this wrapped up. It's been great talking with you. This has been a lot of in- new information for me. Cause I haven't worked that closely with set deck since I was in casting. And so it's interesting to learn how you guys take care of your department and interact with the props department. And I didn't realize there was like some movies would have like 30 set deck in their department. Because the most that I would see would be like two whenever I was on set. <laughs> yeah. Well, at, on set, that's and that's the funny thing is the people that work on set with the shooting crew often just don't think about it, about what all goes into stuff. But there's we also work closely with the construction department, especially on uh, when we're building sets on stages because they put up the basic structure, you know, the the walls and all that, and then we come in and have to cut out outlet play, you know, places for outlets, electrical outlets and, and light switches or, oh, wow. you know, depending on what the set is, we have to work very closely with them because we have big pieces of set dressing that have to go here, you know, and they have to build things in such a way that makes room for what we have. And then there's also the paint department that a lot of times <laughs> we're, we're in there all at the same time on top of each other, which is, kind of what we all try to avoid ideally construction gets their part done then paint gets their part done and then we come in and do our thing but you know it's not how it always is we're often in there at the same time and waiting literally waiting for paint to dry <laughs> <laughs> so we can do what we need to do uh that's, and then that's when you pull out the et game and play <laughs> <laughs> yeah well there's always something to do too when you're uh when you're not part of the onset crew um, which is one of the best parts of set deck is you never, every day is different. You never know what you're going to be doing. You might be on a truck all day driving all over the place, picking up 
things that have been purchased at estate sales or or other places, or you might be in the thick of it building a set with construction and paint, or you might have a slow day where you get to. We did have a one of the we had some of the arcade games from season two in our lockup on Stranger Things, and I don't want to I don't want to dominate the conversation with that because I worked on a lot of other <laughs> stuff. But I guess that is probably the most interesting thing or one of the most interesting things that I can talk about. Um, like we mentioned before we started recording, you have to sign non-disclosure agreements. So I can't really talk about some stuff because it hasn't come out yet, but that that's well in the past. So I think it's safe yeah. to talk about now. But So closing up then, uh, let's go ahead and give out your social medias. How can people contact you if they want to? see your stuff you've worked on or if they have more questions about how set deck works or, or if they have wrestling questions, cause you're a huge wrestling <laughs> fan also. Yeah. Well, I do have an IMDB page, but Jonathan Williams is a fairly common name. So you have to, uh, kind of dig, but I'm the one that worked on stranger things and Stargirl and all the stuff you mentioned earlier, the outsider, which just finished on HBO. And that was, that was fun to work on too. Um, but so, yeah, I, so before, again, going back to my pre-film life, I had started a blog a few years before I got into film called wrestling with pop And that was partially because things in journalism had started to transition to digital. And a lot of the publications that I was writing for didn't know how to handle that at first. They were print publications. So I found myself not getting nearly as much work, but still having all the contacts, uh, you know, in the entertainment industry of publicists and things like that, that could get me interviews or send me things to review. So, uh, I had always been a wrestling fan and WrestleMania had been in Atlanta shortly before all that happened. So some of the last few articles that I wrote for local bigger publications were about wrestling related events during WrestleMania weekend. And so I just decided, um, you know, I'll start a blog that kind of focuses on wrestling and covers other aspects of entertainment. I tried to tie it into wrestling when I could, but usually it was really, it was my blog, you know, it was just whatever, <laughs> whatever I wanted to do, whoever I wanted to interview or whatever I wanted to write about. And it won within its first year, it won best of Atlanta and creative loafings, uh, annual voting with reader's choice and then won again the next year. Um, and then I won best local blogger also in the set that second year. So, you know, it was doing well. And then once I got into film, I just didn't have time to keep up with it. So it's still there and, uh, still has some great content. It's just four years old now. <laughs> <laughs> I did. And we'll I've, provide I've, links for all of that too on our social medias for people to check out okay cool well uh yeah i mean it's still there and i guess now with this free time i have i'm gonna start updating it again but i have continued to be involved in a podcast it's called it was called the pro wrestling roundtable and then they changed the name for some reason to the pwr spot show a couple of years ago but that is uh there's a i know there's a facebook group for it pwr spot show facebook group um, there's a Twitter, I believe it's just at PWR spot show. 
I can send you all that stuff later. But as far as my personal social media goes, uh, you can find Wrestling with Pop Culture on Facebook, um, and you can like that page. And again, it hasn't been active in a while, but it probably will be uh, for the next couple months or so. <laughs> um, on Twitter, which I'm not very active on either, um, I am at Wrestle Pop Culture, C U L T R, because I didn't have room. I didn't have enough character spaces to spell it all out. <laughs> so at Wrestle Pop, C U L T R. Um, on Instagram, I am at Wrestling with Pop Culture. And uh, I get my personal Facebook, I'm Jonathan Williams. So if you want to look me up and friend me and message me or whatever, that's fine too. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for all that information. Thanks for hanging out for 45 minutes or so unedited time. It might be less. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, listeners, for hanging out with us also. And we will see you again next week on another episode of the Above Average Joe Show. Thank you again to our special guest, Jonathan Williams. Be sure to check out our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitters, and look us up on Spotify, Stitcher, and on iTunes. You can also check out another podcast I co-host, The Extra Unordinary, and some other great media content by Moon Possum Productions at moonpossum.com.